Welcome to the show. My name is James Nielsen Watt, and in this show, we interview interesting, inspiring, and successful people so you can learn the secrets to success and can play the game of life, business, health, and happiness better. And the philosophy we take here is if I'm leveling up my game, you get to level up yours as well. So get ready to listen to some inspiring people who have figured out how to have success in all areas of life, health, happiness, wealth, business. We're going to be interviewing them in this show so that you can learn the secrets to success that they share with practical advice that you can take and use today. So if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, please leave us a review, and please share it with your friends because if I can help you and you can help others, then we can help more people together and we can all level up our game together. My guest today is the highly successful YouTuber Benji Travis, known for his cooking channel Benji Man TV, where he transformed his passion for cooking into a successful career using YouTube with simple presentations and easy food recipe videos. Benji has generated more than 1 billion views across his channels, and along with his business partner, Sean Cannell, helps creators, influencers, and business owners grow their YouTube channels through their company and channel video influencers. Welcome to the show, Benji. Super excited to have you on. I've been looking at your stuff for a while now and, and you're absolutely crushing it. We're talking about it in, in the pre-show as well. Uh, I want you to run run through a little bit about your your background so that people have got some context. Please mention the the breakdancing videos and how you started and how your, your wife became the superstar. So talk about that. Yeah. you know. Well, so to put it simply, I've been a YouTuber for over a decade and now teach people how to build their YouTube channels and grow their influencer business. But it all started off with me using the platform as a utility to promote a breakdancing battle that I had. That's like 2005, 2006. A lot of the kids in my program at the uh, local rec center for youth I was running were learning how to breakdance from people all over the world. And so when I was growing up, I actually did a little bit of breakdancing myself. I had to learn from my friends um, or from a VHS tape. And so when these kids were going online in the computer room and learning from people across the country, from around the world, I was like, hey, this thing is pretty useful. And so what I did was I created videos to promote our breakdancing event that we had at that YMCA. That's the organization where I worked at. Uh, it was a great tool to basically get in front of people. And so that was my my first experience. But how I got involved as a creator is my wife who started a YouTube channel. And ironically, I used to laugh and make fun of her saying she would waste her time and um, she gets the last laugh because 14 years later, not only is she my boss in our marriage, she's my boss in our business. And I've been doing it forever now and obviously wrote a book about it. So yeah, she knew a thing or two more than I did. I think it's I think it's funny because people really did laugh at that concept of like, you can use the internet and do these things. And I think people still do, which is kind of ridiculous but it's like well-established. Like I follow the, the the Paul brothers, Jake and Logan Paul, and um, yeah. with what they do. And it's it's come from, like Logan Paul just fought Floyd Mayweather, which was massive. And it's come from being seen and having an audience. And I think that it's, we don't realize the power of an audience until we have an audience and then you can do whatever the hell you want. Um, so talk me through, you know, her getting into to vlogging. Was it, because that wasn't really a thing right? I assume she had seen yeah. some people and she maybe said, this is a good idea. Or did she just come up with and say, hey, I want to record my life? Yeah. Well, first off, I'm glad you brought up the Paul brothers because even myself would have to claim that I laughed at their type of content um, and just thought it was maybe childish or immature, but respect what they've been able to do. And it was because of their audience, because of mm. their influence. Um, a decade ago, I remember watching, I don't know if it was quite that long, Manny Pacquiao, one of the greatest fighters coming out of the Philippines, fighting one of the greatest fighters in the world, Mayweather. If you told me that these boneheads, right, at the time, were going to get a chance to fight him, like I wouldn't have believed it. And so I think this just speaks to the power of not just being an influencer, but specifically a YouTuber. And so my wife, when she first started in 2008, she just saw other females that were into makeup and beauty. And one specific was Michelle Fawn. And she was a blogger 
that want to offer what she was teaching through for video format, never even thinking of YouTube as the destination. It was just a tool again, like how I was using it to deliver content. And so it's just a place to park the video and then embed it into her blog. And so that's what my wife stumbled on. And she saw this really small community sharing their techniques, their point of view of different products, kind of talking about their techniques. And so that's how she got started, just really out of passion. She was going to school full-time. She was um, uh, working a day job. And so she never thought of this as a potential career or business. Yet, you know, she shortly became one of the... Uh, they call her like an OG of the beauty world, hitting a million subscribers, basically building it into a seven-figure business all from the comfort of her home. We, we still live in the same area we grew up in for the last almost three decades now. That's to me mind-blowing because usually when you want to get into traditional media, you have to flock to you know LA, New York City, wherever the hub is. Like I, I'm not sure where you're from, but you know if you're in Europe, people are going to London, Paris maybe. With YouTube and social media, you can be anywhere. And so she's proven that to be possible. And yeah, and to this day, I literally just still film within a quarter mile of where I started YouTube at. What, what I think is amazing with it is that people forget that people just want to see what other people are up to. And mm-hmm. the Kardashians are an amazing example of that, right? Their entire brand is built off of this, this concept. But even specifically in, in beauty, it's like, what are other people doing? What are other people using? Because we're always looking for, you know, validation of others' thoughts, feelings on things. We're looking for opinions to make sure that we're making the right decision. And I think that especially for my audience and myself, hearing this and not doing it, it's like uh, when you're an expert at something, even if you're just good at it, there's someone who's not as good or wants to get other opinions and can listen and, and learn from that. And there's, there's huge potential. And there's there's still huge potential. Like I'm far from any kind of expert in this area and, and I'm maybe completely speaking out of turn here with this, but it doesn't matter how many channels there are. There's, there's more people going onto YouTube looking for more stuff. And so there is relatively, you know, the same amount of free pond space as previously because there's now more eyeballs on there and it's actually being used more. Can you totally. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, first off, I think that the digital influencer is killing the traditional celebrity. And one of the reasons is, you know, these celebrities get put onto a pedestal. They're like these greater than life figures. But an influencer, at least one that lives on YouTube or social media, what makes them great is the fact that you can relate to them, whether it's a specific hobby or passion. Or maybe they're just like you. Maybe where you, you grew up, there aren't a lot of people like yourself. And so through the internet, through these social media platforms, you can connect with these people. In turn, you can connect with everybody that's like you or um, you can connect with other people within your subculture. So one of the things, going back to my breakdancing days, one of the things that was amazing is a subculture in the hip-hop community and especially with breakdancing. When we, you would go to these events, because everybody loved the the dance uh, form of b-boying, that's what they called it, you could go to a breakdancing battle in Paris or in Tokyo or in Seattle, Washington, where I'm from. And it was kind of the same thing. Like the, the, the vibe was very similar. Of course, the culture was a little bit different, the language different, but that music that they dance to, the way they compete against each other. And so what YouTube and social media has enabled is the fact that you don't have to go to these places to connect with them. And so what happens is people are growing not just these uh, very specific types of tribes of people in their audience, they're growing these massive audiences. So it's not, uh, you know, boiled down to the people that got through the gatekeepers or the decision makers, literally the audience is deciding who it is that they want to follow, who they want to connect with. And I absolutely agree with you. There's still so much opportunity and the potential is there for anybody because as there are more competitors in the realms of social media and YouTube, there's also more eyeballs. More and more people are using the platform. I think like just in 2020, we've proven that people want to use social media more. I know that there's some uh, movies and documentaries out there talking about the downside, but the upside outweighs anything negative in my opinion. And so there's just actually this 
hunger for more creators out there. You just have to ask yourself, what can you do that's a little bit different or set yourself apart to connect with that you know, smaller group or bigger group that is just uh, starving for your unique offering, even in a competitive niche? We don't necessarily have, I think, time to go super deep into this, but I, I wanted yep. to mention like people talk about the negatives of social media and and all kinds of stuff. And, and sure, I, I guess there is some stuff there, but I, I feel like it's there anyway. And it's just being shown like people are going to think and do dumb stuff and people are going to like, that's just humans. It's just, it used to happen in houses where friends would go and hang out or at the local town hall or whatever. And now it's just online. So we're being exposed to the reality of humans. I think, yes. I think that's confronting for a lot of people. It's like, yeah, it's it's sure it can also you know like forums and things like that can breed stuff because of groupthink and you know you don't have outside opinion but you know it might be easier for people to to group together uh, with social but it was already happening we just yeah well it. I always tell people whether you think they are or not everybody is judging you you know when you walk on the street both you and the other person that you're walking next to are judging each other, right? Whether it's negative or positive, it's going to happen. But it kind of stays in here, you know? It's very rare that you're vocal about it. In all my years that I've been a YouTuber, um, basically sharing my life, which I do five days a week, I've never heard somebody in person attack me or judge me in a negative way. Social media and the internet generally lets you share those thoughts that normally you don't tell people because you have to save face and you can kind of, you know, say it in um, complete privacy, right? Like people don't have to even know it's you. And oftentimes when I get any kind of trolling or negative comments, they're from like ghost accounts, <laughs> you know, like zero followers, zero posts. Um, and they're using that account just because they don't want to use their normal account with the one that shows who they are. And so that just speaks to, like you said, it's just bringing to the surface what people are always thinking. And it is just one of the downsides, but the good comes the bad. And so that's how I look at it. So uh, I agree. Conor McGregor uh, said, you know, people are going to, love you one day and then hate you another just make sure you're getting paid on both days and um and to kind of circle back to the poor brothers i think that that it's funny because i had daryl eaves uh on the show and he helped mr beast uh get to where he is and when we talk about the, the type of content and and you know and you, and you were saying like the poor brothers are how is this content working whatever i think what we and and i, and I know you get this right like what we realize now is that we're trying to capture attention with our content and there's always a, a, a niche of people who are going to watch that stuff. And when we understand the game, we understand what's really happening. Yeah. I believe that, that the Paul brothers will be billionaires in the next 10, 20, 30 years yep. if they continue, because naturally you're going to develop more business interests. Your audience is going to evolve. Uh, they're going to get older. Your content will mature you see it with, with pop stars. Miley Cyrus was doing Hannah Montana or whatever. And now she's doing, you know, risque songs mm -hmm. and evolving because her audience is aging. And Jake has done that with, you know, Disney kid to, to now he's doing fights and he's got the anti-fund and a bunch of other stuff. Because once you have attention, you can focus it towards whatever you want. And I think that's the key. Logan fighting Mayweather, people get really upset that these professional boxers don't get paid as much and they don't get these opportunities and how can these kids do it? I'm like, dude, you don't understand the game. No one wants to watch a nobody who's, who's fought 16 times and is trying really hard fight Mayweather. No one cares. They want to see this YouTuber get knocked out by Mayweather. Yeah. Uh, they want to see this, you know, this big young dude, but no experience. And it, it's like, understand the game. It, it's, 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 all, it's, it's, it's all about attention. So, mm -hmm. you know, speaking to that, I understand. I used to be in martial arts. I'm technically still a secondary black belt in Taekwondo. It took me a decade to become who I am in that uh, form of martial arts. So when you see this kid that came out of nowhere, but people don't realize like he didn't just come out of nowhere. Number one, 
attention is what's valuable. That's what he brings for the sport, by the way. Um, secondly, he was a wrestler when he was going to school. I mean, like a really good one. So it's not like he he just like completely learned how to box in the last six months. Like he un- has like a maybe a fighter instinct already. But, you know, even more than those brothers and some of the A-list celebrities you hear about um, making a lot of money, what's more interesting and fascinating are the people using social media that you never hear about that are making a ton of money, right? Um, Everyday people who are taking a passion or hobby and turning it into a six-figure business. In fact, one of um, my best friends, Sean Cannell, he's actually the co-author of the book YouTube Secrets we wrote. He's more successful than almost every single YouTuber I know in some cases have like two, three, 10 times more influence than him. Because again, like he's not super loud about it. It's not going to get onto the Twitter trending page. It's not going to be reported on CNN. And so everybody between those everyday people just making a living doing what they love to people like Sean who are just creating these multiple seven-figure businesses using YouTube, that is what I think not only is more uh, significant to me, but probably significant people listening to this podcast or watching this show, because that means that you can do it too. You don't have to be uh, uh, one of the Paul brothers, right? Or yet a Mayweather or even Kim Kardashian to not only build influence, but make money because people are literally doing it. our book. One thing we're proud about is the fact that it's full 90% of stories of people you probably never heard of that don't have a million subscribers. And that is what we're trying to share, not only on our channel, Video Influencers, but here in this podcast, because I'm one of those people. I mean, I this is not what I thought I was going to be doing. You know, I always wanted to be on the Food Network and I didn't need to because I have a food channel where I just share my recipes. And I'd argue I probably had a longer career than most people that end up on the Food Network because again, like you said, I understand the game of attention and attention is on social media and on the internet. Yeah, you, you said it before, right? Like the, the the influencer has more influence than than the celebrity these days because it's where the attention's at. It's just not yep. the the official thing. So you get recognition from being on XYZ show, even though it's meaningless in the grand scheme of things. I like what you said with that it's not necessarily about the size of your audience. I think that's super important for people to understand. And and I'd love to talk about that specifically for my situation. I run a multi-seven figure business and I have a horrible social media following relative <laughs> to my size um, and which we're working on because I'm wanting to use that attention in the future to pivot. And I'm looking at the long game, not just the, the short game, but in, in a business principle, it comes down to your, to your front end and your back end. You can be a Paul brother uh, and have a huge front end, right? Of attention and yeah. leads, so to speak. But if you have a terrible back end where you don't sell, you know, stacks of products or high ticket products, then you can have a lot of attention and, and minimal revenue. Uh, I know guys doing way more in revenue than the Paul brothers who have no following because they have a strong back end and they have things that feed into that. So talk to us about running these, these smaller channels, which yeah. are focused on developing the business side of things. Cause for me, I'm um, through heavily being focused on, okay, now I'm going to start doing some YouTube stuff and especially with you and, and I've, I've got your book and it's on the way. And, um, and looking at what I'm doing, I'm seeing it as Healthcare Business Secrets is my company. I'm having going to be creating a, a focus channel for that that feeds the business. And then I'll do the other things for the other things. Talk to us about these kind of micro channels, if you will. Yeah, well, you already said it. It's not about the size of your audience. It's the significance of those relationships. So, you know, are you filling a specific need? Is the value that you're bringing something that people want to pay for. And so in your case, I'm guessing you're a healthcare expert, right? Um, You can talk to those people way better than I can. Even though I do have a bigger audience, I can't speak to the problems they have or the the needs that that you're going to be there to help them with. And I think that what I know that what social media is doing is letting you connect with the people you can add the most value to. See, before... We're talking maybe you know, like even just 20, 30 years ago, you just had to have like, uh, well, maybe like 30 years ago, you had to have a store in the middle of town and you just had to hope between the yellow pages, which was this book where people could look up something or foot traffic or maybe some kind of advertisement through television and billboards that people would kind of find you, right? Well, 
now it's not by chance. People are looking themselves through Google, uh, the search function on these different platforms, including YouTube, for that exact person that's going to help you with this specific need. And that's why for like, for example, I'm sure like a, a million dollar real estate agent can now serve the millionaires looking for million dollar homes, right? And they can get in front of those people in a very specific way. By the way, I know some of these agents who have less than 10,000 subscribers. They make millions of dollars with the hundreds, if not thousands of views on their YouTube videos because those hundred or thousands of people or people with a lot of money looking for a specific type of house, we're talking seven, sometimes multiple seven-figure homes, and you're the agent to serve them. And so even though the views might be minuscule, even though ironically, there's this whole niche of viewership, people just almost vicariously live through the agent's uh, home tours of these homes, that the people that you will convert into your buyer will spend seven figures and you'll make $30,000 commission from that one person, right? And so imagine even at a 1% conversion, that's a lot of million dollar listings that you're helping to sell. And this is why, again, it's not about the size of your following, it's a significance. And so being very, I'd say purposeful, about what it is that you're offering, having a specific value proposition of your videos and knowing exactly who you're reaching out to is probably half the battle because then the content comes much more easily versus trying to talk to everybody and just become famous and popular for the sake of exposure versus having very like specific exposure to a specific group of people and serving their needs. Again, I could talk for an hour on like how to break this down. The point being, I've met plenty of people, even outside of people that would call them themselves YouTubers. Like these are just like business people and professionals using YouTube, ironically, like I did back in 2005, as a utility, as a, as a way to add value to their potential consumers and clients without actually having to do it. The easiest way to, for any entrepreneur is your top 10 frequently asked questions that you get from the people potentially going to do business with you, turn those into videos. And so again, do you have to have a million like views on those videos to convert into sales? No, you just have to help them with this question for free, no strings attached. And the next logical step is like, if you did something good for them, imagine what you'll do when you get paid to do it. Yeah, people worry about giving away their best stuff. And, and, mm -hmm. and I'm a huge advocate that you can't because someone's still going to want help. There's going to be people that take it and, and, and never buy from you, but... They don't want to do the work. Not, yeah, they're probably not good clients in the first place. So it's like you 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 give the value, you you attract that no like trust factor. And then the person says, man, if I paid for it, what else am I going to get? Or maybe this is all great, but I just want a direct plan. I want to know what I mm -hmm. need to do. And that's what they, they pay for. And I think that, that gone are the days of value being in your content, so to speak because someone else has made a video somewhere that they can, they can just Google it. I work with, for example, nutritionists. They're worried about giving out things. I'm like, dude, somebody's already made a video. You, they could, if they wanted to, they could find the answer by reading some books and looking at some YouTube videos. So they're not paying you for the content. They're paying you for implementation and, and, and guidance and coaching. Well, I think there's two things that you make me think of when you talk about that. People want convenience and they want to save time. My book, YouTube Secrets, I'm holding it up right now. You can get it on Amazon. We'll have a link in the description. The, the true secret is you can get almost all this information on YouTube right now between Sean's channel, Think Media, and our co-hosted channel, Video Influencers, and other people. You can get all of this. But guess what? This book puts it all in one place right? There's a framework. And so you're going to one, save time because you don't have to re-watch all these videos and go through the bad videos and get the good ones. And secondly, it's convenient. It's all packaged. And so you can make that happen with any profession, any kind of uh, need or uh, industry. Because I think ultimately, this is what people use apps for. They just want to save time and they want the convenience. This is why people don't want to sit through TV shows anymore because they don't want to sit through the commercials. I know personally, I'm almost looking at the commercials as like a nostalgic throwback to a day where they were annoying. And now I'm just kind of fascinated. Like, wow, does this even work? 
now they have to be really tricky and entertaining for to get my attention. But honestly, I, I signed up for every subscription because I'd rather have no commercials and get right to what I want. Again, convenience and saving time. If you can do that for people online for whatever it is that you're an expert on, you're already better off than most people because like you said, they're so worried about giving away information for free. What people really want are those two things. And the and that's what's funny. When you give away information for free for like how to buy a house, ultimately you don't want to do the work to find the house. You want an agent to do it. So going back to that example. And so free is a key. Free, free literally is the key to open up the door to opportunity. Netflix is an amazing example of that. When you when you watch a show that's Netflix produced versus one that's not, the Netflix produced one, they don't have a big intro. You notice that? They just jump straight into the show. Yeah. And there is no kind of big build up to characters and events. It's always like episode one, some wild stuff happens and you're like, man, I need to keep watching this show because Netflix gets that people are there to be entertained. So give them the entertainment. They also give you they also gives you the option to skip the end trailer part because no one really watches it and get straight into the next episode and skip the intro and i don't know if you've noticed this and i don't know if it's just me speculating here but i feel like netflix learns as well how quick you like to skip because when i'm watching it on my wife's profile it takes longer to skip for me it gives me like five seconds because oh, interesting to skip that doesn't surprise me it's all about data and looking at the analytics so it's just the same thing on youtube now i do have one disagreement where Netflix falls short to brands like Paramount or Disney. Disney and those other brands that are more established and well-known, they really do know how to tell a story. So when I'm going through Netflix, I will sometimes watch like a Netflix show that you know my friends are telling me about. A lot of our viewers oftentimes in our vlogs will say, hey, you need to watch this with Judy. It's a good date night, whatever. But when I see like a Disney movie, and I think this is why Disney Plus is really winning because they're taking the best elements of the Netflix platform strategy and combining it with their amazing ability to tell stories. And they already have this huge video library, right? And so what's scary for Netflix is they've definitely spent a lot of money amazing content. I watch some of their movies and shows and don't know the difference between like Netflix produce and like what I'd see back on TV days or at the movies. But man, you know, this is also an opportunity for the like more traditional platforms to still be part of it. They just have to understand, like you said, the delivery, you know, uh, they have to get right to the point. You know, people don't want to, like you said, waste time. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I think Netflix definitely killed Blockbuster. However, now that these other platforms are coming in competing, they have a huge job to be able to compete against those stories, those movies, and those shows. Um, and that it'll be interesting how that plays out. Versus, and uh, I didn't want to like make a huge pivot here. YouTube, it's interesting. YouTube has tried with original content. I think they failed compared to the Netflix. But as a platform, they're more significant to me than Netflix because literally everybody is using it for so many different reasons. I, uh, me and Sean were talking about this um, when we we're um, talking about the book, how literally it's now multiple oceans of viewerships using the platform for multiple purposes versus Netflix. I mean, maybe kids' content, movies, shows, that's about it. With YouTube, now they got YouTube Shorts. Now they still have long-form content. People are watching it for educational, entertainment. You can rent movies on there. They've got YouTube Music. It's pretty nuts, the significance of that. And so I don't know really where I was going with this. My point is I am impressed with Netflix, but I think they're finding much more competition compared to the more social-centric or utility platforms like YouTube. You made an amazing point and we'll bring it back to YouTube with this is that there's kind of two kinds of content, right? We're talking about convenience and time when we're trying to get the information. I get onto Netflix and I just want to watch the show and have some fun. Yes. Then the other side to it is story-based content. You can't just have that necessarily that quick stuff unless that's what your channel is about. So people come and watch the stuff and then leave. If you're wanting to connect to your audience, longer term build relationships, like you have a relationship with Disney stuff, is because of the story that comes with it. 
And so mixing that in, yeah. I think is important. What's interesting for me, as you said, this is I have, um, I've got issues with, with staying focused and, and having attention. And so when I'm on YouTube, I get constantly distracted by stuff. Sure. And so I got like a Chrome app that basically means that I can't see the comments and I can't see the suggested videos and oh, interesting. the video that I'm watching so that I just watch the thing and then leave. And I realized that it killed the YouTube experience yeah. because whenever I did want to mindlessly watch YouTube, I wanted to go down the rabbit hole. I wanted it to yeah. show me some stuff. And so when it was just the video, my other sucks. And so I'd go and turn it off and I'm like, ah, oh, now I'm back. And what I realized yeah. that when I would go into it, right, it's like sometimes I go on YouTube and I just look up something absolutely just random crap, knowing yeah. that I'm going to go down a rabbit hole three hours later and be super interested in how they make rice or something stupid. Yeah. And I think that that's a really fun part of YouTube. And yeah. the, the best times is when I found like Mr. Beast uh, videos or something like that. And I was being suggested oh, the yeah. next one. I just kept watching the next one. I'm like there you go. deep and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Those creators, and we can learn from that, the ones that there's this story that's happening, whether it's a story in the video or not, but there's like this, this almost this, I don't know what to say, like this theme with it. And you're just hooked into that and you yeah. keep watching more of those videos. I think that's where there's a lot of power, especially for, I'm just going to say micro channels. I don't even know if that's a thing. Like for, for, the, for, for these micro channels where it's, where it's us, the expert, trying to enroll the viewer and have them dive deep into us and build that trust and, and, and go is, is how do we get them back to keep watching more of our There's stuff? been research done on this that it's like a slot machine experience at a casino. There's something exciting about the unknown, right? But where social media takes it to a whole nother level is they're giving you exactly what you want. The algorithm is understanding what it is you are caring about. This is why TikTok, even though not necessarily part of the discussion, they've gone really good about serving exactly what you want. So they don't have the option of like having two or three because you just see one piece of content. So the algorithm is really important. One thing I will say about YouTube, and I've heard this from people that work at YouTube proper, like employees, that they really look at satisfaction. So like you said, you started putting these filters on, right? Because say you get into the rabbit hole that was kind of negative or it got polarizing to where it was kind of, you know, like messing with your me mental health, you might stop. And so YouTube notices this, by the way. They notice when you stop watching for whatever reason. And guess what? The algorithm is going to look at the last 10 videos and be like, what was it about these last videos that made James stop watching versus, you know, two months ago, he kept watching this. It's, it's crazy because the rabbit hole of thinking about the algorithm is never ending, but it's in the pursuit of satisfaction for the viewer. And this is exactly speaking to your point about the micro-influencer. Don't worry about any of that. What you should focus on is giving the next best content for that person's journey. Gardeners, right? If they're typing in how to uh, make the best tomatoes in your garden, well, the next logical step after that is like the best soil or fertilizer, right? The next step is how to set up like a raised garden bed. By the way, I'm just speaking to my evolution of gardening. I started off caring about the plant, not realizing actually the soil is important. Then after that, realizing a raised bed. And so if you're that uh, gardening YouTube creator that understands what that journey is, you can send them on this rabbit hole viewing session that could literally be never ending because after you get done mastering that, guess what? The next thing is herbs, right? Herbs go really well because they also go well in the kitchen. And so you can create that satisfactory viewing experience and you could dominate somebody's attention through YouTube. But it's because of their algorithm. It's because of their, their desire to create a satisfactory viewing experience versus, I would argue, TikTok, just all about addiction. And so it's just feeding to that itch you have, whether it's productive or just entertaining. And, you know, we all know there's addictions out there we shouldn't be addicted to, right? Versus whatever is going to be satisfactory for the sustainable, I'd say, viewership, 
that is something I've never heard any other platform doing because most other platforms just want to cater to that addiction. And this is why Facebook has become really polarizing politically. By the way, I could get into a whole nother rabbit hole discussion. My point being, what you just said, your little experience speaks to missing something about YouTube that is actually good. Yeah, again, I could talk about this all day too. Like, I think that people mistake what's happening and they think that the platforms are showing them this content and it's and it's enabling stuff to happen in in the social world and i think that people forget that it's showing you what you want to see so if you don't want to see it stop engaging with it and you won't see it anymore and so people get upset by what they're seeing or they either love what they're seeing it's usually when they get upset by what they're seeing right and it's like well then just stop looking that stuff up and stop engaging and then you'll probably stop seeing it mm-hmm. because it's not forcing you to see anything it's just giving you what you keep watching i did a test with this i randomly i've told my clients this i like i would i would randomly watch whale videos on facebook at the time like the, yeah. the, the suggested videos i would pay attention to to any videos that were like it was a it was a it was an obscure video about whales i just watched it the next video I got was like about whales. And then I watched that one. And then I'd skip all the videos that weren't about whales. And eventually yeah. I just started seeing all these flipping whale videos. And then it was like, what, what about dolphins and fish? And then I watched a little bit of that because they would they would stretch it out and go, if you like this, maybe you'll like that. And, and it was a demonstration of the fact that it's showing me what I want to see because there's this endless news feed effect or this, you know, with Facebook at least. But By the way, just- whether it was the whale videos or the videos that you skipped, I would argue almost all those are still entertaining educational or informative. They were still good videos because what you don't see are the crappy videos or the the ones where there was maybe a selfish motive to it that never see the light of day. And this is why it's important to create quality versus quantity. And this is why ultimately you can't be selfish in your endeavor to create YouTube content. You've got to be generous. You've got to come from a place of giving whatever the the value proposition may be, entertaining, education, informative, whatever. There's a whole bunch of different things. And this goes back to our original discussion about giving things away for free. It is really important because that's that's the whole point of YouTube. That's the whole point of social media and apps. You get it for free first. And then you decide, where do I want to pay for like higher quality? Because if you're just making a bunch of crap, people aren't going to engage with it, which is not going to fuel the algorithm, which is not going to fuel your purpose. So it's not rocket science, right? Like make better stuff. You wouldn't keep <laughs> watching videos that were boring. You would just probably get off the platform. This is the little secret that a lot of people don't realize. We are the ones deciding to get addicted to this stuff because it is addictive, right? It is good stuff. Like it's like keeping us entertained. Um, I think like we almost had to have this. Could you imagine the pandemic without social media, right? We probably would have read a lot more books, But I'd say, man, it probably saved us from going completely insane. We could stay connected to a certain degree. It is kind of interesting to think about that because, you know, the last time we had something like this was the early 1900s. And I wonder what they were doing. They probably were not as productive. They probably couldn't work the same way. This is a completely different flipping of the perspective of what happened because, by the way, I don't want to be insensitive to people that got hurt, went through some kind of uh, turmoil or hardship, obviously loss of life. That definitely happened. But the world just kept kind of going on, right? And it's interesting how we're like coming back back with a quickness. I think, again, it's, it's because these platforms are beneficial for people overall in the long term. I was reading that... Um, that- employers are finding it hard to get people to come back to work because I'd rather work from home. And so people would totally. be quitting instead of, uh, you know, quitting and getting another job that'll let them work from home. And I, I think believe. that it, it, it's the evolution of things like it was going to happen. And I think it's just been sped up this realization. By the way, if you asked me to fly to wherever you're at, even if you're going to pay my rate and all my expenses, I would have been like, how much for me to just do this digitally? I'm in the same boat. You know, and so I think we've also uh, learned different ways of utilizing this. I went from being on four planes a month on average to zero in a 12 month period. And I don't necessarily miss any of it at all. You know, I do miss some of the, the, the breaking bread of, uh, you know, eating a meal with somebody in person, which is 
much harder to do through Zoom. But for all practical reasons, I do believe what you and I are doing right now will add as much value as if I was there in person. I I don't feel like we've lost a lot of the engagement uh, doing this digitally. And so again, why it's so important for you to understand how social media and YouTube and just the digital world works because people are comfortable living there. Yeah, 100%. Let's get tactical for a second. Uh, You talked about videos and getting people down a rabbit hole. Would it make more sense to have one video that answers all of it sequentially uh, because you know that that's what people want to watch or is it better to have smaller videos that are answering each of those things? Sort of. When you're first starting out, smaller videos, number one, because it's just easier to manage, also gives you more volume, more hooks in the sea, as I would say it. Plus, if you do a good job on that first one, it's very likely that one, the viewer will want to watch number two. So that's two views versus one view. And then uh, secondly, the algorithm is just going to suggest it. So a lot of YouTubers these days, they're using this series strategy where they create like a, a whole, like 10 videos that, that go along together. And some of them are just uploading them all at once. Some are uploading it like twice a week, you know, for the next four to five weeks. So I believe shorter videos is better because there are those people that don't want one through 10. They might only want five and seven. And so why not give them the ability to consume just the answer for question number five? Does that make sense? Yeah. Would you put them into a playlist for it? So it's like, definitely say- put them into a playlist. You have to suggest the next one, right? And also like at the very end, say, hey, if you want to see, because at the end, obviously there's nothing else. Say, hey, make sure to go to the playlist to see all my top 10 frequently asked questions around you know buying your first home if you're uh, first getting into real estate. Definitely try some way connecting them. And even YouTube has tools where you can click videos at the very end. You want to create that loop. There shouldn't be an end to the loop. No. I'm gathering. No. So it should be something next. <laughs> yes. Um, does it matter if you are uploading all the videos at once or releasing them over time in terms of like amount of content you have relative to views? Does that affect whether or not they're going to rank your stuff? Well, YouTube says no. And they say that they treat each video as its own individual piece of content, where I would say that it's strategic and more practical to upload over time because it's easier to see the progression from one video to the next. See, with that first video, you kind of see what the performance is like. And so you might have another week to optimize that second upload versus if you just put all 10 up, you're not getting any time to make the second to 10th video a little bit better. And I always lean on the side of being consistently uploading over time versus putting all of it at once. Having that schedule is important. It's just just like television shows, right? People kind of like not, you know, not just the consistency, but the understanding that your content is going to come out on this date. Don't overthink it either. At the very beginning, just put out content, right? And so you don't have to do once a week. If you already have 10 videos all produced, maybe do three in the first week and three the next week. But learn from those first uploads. See what the engagement is like. See what uh, people are liking because you might have a chance to optimize those following uh, videos to be even better. And that's why I always say uh, upload over time versus uploading all of it at once if you do have a whole bunch of content already. I'll tell you my experience and I'd love to know your opinion. Uh, My experience has been, uh, I look at the title and then the thumbnail and I'm looking for production value because when you see a shitty one i'm like eh, it's probably not gonna be good content if they can't even make the video you know the rest of it makes sense but then of course some of them are too clickbaity and i know that it's probably not gonna have any value in it either but i'm looking at title thumbnail then i'm watching the first bit and i'm kind of skipping through to gather what it's about and then i hook myself into continuing continuing to watch it then i'll read the description and look for other stuff and suggested videos. That's kind of my flow. What's your general experience with how people do it and where should I be putting my emphasis and should I be having you know, this little intro portion that hooks people in and stuff like that or should I just get straight into it? Well, I think acknowledging how you 
dissect what to watch and how your viewing behavior is, is always a start because you're going to understand that. And also be very objective about it. You know, some people, they understand the viewing experience, but for whatever reason, those rules don't apply to their own content, right? Like, yes, the rules apply to you just the same it applies to complete beginner and even the seasoned influencer who's already got an audience. Um, But secondly, understanding that the way you look for content might not be the way everybody else does. And this is why it's important to just literally do a search on the term or phrase you want to rank for on YouTube and see what shows up. And oftentimes I would do this on another account or maybe a private window. So I'm not signed in. See what shows up because it's interesting. They say that these results are different from other people, but cream rises to the top. The best videos for that search, for that phrase or whatever type of content you're looking for, the best is always put out there, right? And so the top 10 of people's search results, almost all the same. There might be like three or four that's a little bit different catering to you and your uh, viewing behavior. So having that understanding, this is why research is so important. Before you even hit record, you should not only know what is actually ranking, you should know what will rank. So you should have your title, uh, you should have your thumbnail before you even hit record. Because when you're talking, when you're creating your content, all that will reflect on how well that connection is from what people decide is relevant for them because of the title and thumbnail and the satisfaction they get from that piece of content. And so that's what creates what we call evergreen viewership, where YouTube is putting this one video in front of one person. And if they decide to click on yours versus the other three that shows up on their desktop or the other one or two showing up on their app, and they know that putting that video in front of the next person is always going to be a winner that is the goal. And so I think that there's too much emphasis on strategy and not enough emphasis on quality of content for the end viewer. And that starts with a lot of research. Before I even start breaking down my script and storyboard, I spend at least 30 minutes thinking about what is it that people even care about? I'm more concerned with what people want and need and what they're going to right now for that need than live what I want to do, you know? Because once I get into it, then I bridge the gap between what it is I want to create and the, the kind of life or business I want to run along with what it is that people actually need in their life. Again, it's not a selfish game. It's a generosity game. And you have to just figure out, like you said, what is other people's kind of psyche and picking content right now and what content is serving those people? Yeah, I, everyone talks about YouTube being a search engine and, and so you're creating content that goes on the shelf that'll be searched. But I think that from our conversation as well, as, as lame as it might sound, it's it's a satisfaction engine as well, right? It's a machine designed to, to give you what you want and make you, make you feel good with the content and not just, you know, silly entertainment, but value-based, like By the way, rabbit hole learning stuff. I think it's crazy that we're going to, I know that we're coming to the end here, but it's crazy that we're landing the plane here. This is why the Paul brothers are winning because they are giving the audience what they want. There are literally millions of people that signed up to watch Mayweather and Logan Paul fight that would have never signed up to watch a boxing match. And so again, like you said, whether you want to see Logan Paul get knocked out or you're just curious about like, why is this YouTuber fighting this, you know, world's greatest uh, boxer? That's what people want to see, right? They want to see something different. And so I know for me personally, after Mayweather beat Manny Pacquiao, my wife's Filipina. So I was like a little biased there, but I also respect him as a person. Ever since that, I haven't really cared about boxing. I was like this close to maybe watching the uh, Mayweather uh, Paul fight because again, they're giving me something that was a little bit different. And so it's no different on YouTube, on social media. And this is why respect to those guys, even though I, I don't agree with all their choices and you know, there's things that I definitely don't relate to them on. I do respect that they understand what their audience and what the general audience wants. And this is why they're winning. And so you have to 
kind of put your whole judgment of others kind of on the shelf for a second. And again, wake up to the reality of where the world is going because that's what social media is revealing, what we think and what we want versus this ideal sense of what we should be. Hey, if people weren't paying attention to it, they wouldn't be making the content. So ironically, whether positive or negatively, you're creating it because they're doing what is needed for the attention and then funneling the attention into things. I think what sums it up for me is that he wore a Pokemon card around his neck and everyone was like, what the hell is this? Oh my didn't God. Understand. I didn't see the fight, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I that wanted to watch it for the, the whole facade and I, think, I thought it was awesome. Um, just what, like watching it for what it is and what's going on versus like being into it or not. And um, he wore a Pokemon card around his neck because the card is worth like 300 grand or something. Uh, yeah. It was one of three perfect blah, blah, blah. But the fact that he wore it and as he said in the, the post fight, they tried to mock him and said, are you wearing a Pokemon card? Like, what is that? And he's like, he, he said what it is. And he said, I just wore this card when I walked out and fought Mayweather. This is a million dollar card. And kind of everyone was just like, oh, you guys, you guys get the culture and we're old. And I thought that was uh, incredible because his viewers see that and think yeah. that's amazing. It's not for anybody else. It's for all of their millions, 20 million, whatever he's got on YouTube, et cetera. It's like, they're playing the game and uh, everyone's feeding into it. And it's hilarious. So we all need to get a, a piece of this, I think. And, and we all have expertise and, and interest in general, different areas. And we need to be leveraging this sort of stuff because attention is key. And it doesn't matter if you are, you know, online uh, or attention a local business. Is attention yeah. is key. Yeah, attention. And that's why the, uh, the motto of our YouTube channel, Sean's and I, is um, helping you build your influence first, income, and then impact. I think I believe the impact comes even before the influence point is the attention is what's really important. And the way you gain someone's attention is you prove that their time is worth spending on you and whatever you have to offer. Two quick things I want to ask you um, before we head off. The first thing is what's the most valuable thing you ever learned? Uh, And the second is where can we pick up a copy of your book? Okay. What's the most valuable thing I ever learned? Uh, is care about people. And if you can do that and honestly show that care through actions and good deeds, uh, that that's probably the greatest thing we could do as humans, generally speaking. Uh, secondly, where you can pick up my book, number one, I would love to promote my podcast, uh, The Influencer Green Room. I just recently launched it and I'm interviewing other people crushing it on social media and YouTube, uh, The Influencer Green Room. And my book is YouTube Secrets. I co-wrote this with Sean Cannell, one of the greatest YouTube experts known to mankind. And so you can get this on uh, really anywhere, but Amazon is the best place and you can also get the audiobook on Audible. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you for coming on the yeah. show. Uh, it was an amazing episode. We dove deep there and I think there was so much value. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Everything shared will be in the description of the episode so you can go and grab that. Now, if you enjoyed the show and you want to listen to more, please subscribe because every week we're releasing new episodes with inspiring people, successful people, so you can level up your game. So subscribe and also leave us a review. We'd love to hear feedback about the show and your thoughts and opinions there as well. Now, if you want to have more success, whether it's in your life, whether it's in your business, we run live trainings every single week where you can get access to me to coach you through everything from health, wealth, success, business, We're doing topics on all things that you need to live a better, more inspired and successful life. Live trainings every single week. Just visit jamesnielsonwatt.com forward slash live and you can get access to that now. There's also a ton of resources that you get for just listening to the show. All of that will be in the description. So if you are watching this on YouTube, check the description. If you're listening to this episode, check the description. We've got a load of resources there for you to have more success in your life, whether it's relationships, investing, or in business. I'll see you on the next episode. And as always, subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends because there's somebody else that needs to be hearing this, and maybe you're their opportunity to help them level up their game.